Eddie discovered one of his childhood's great truths. Grown-ups are the real monsters, he thought. Stephen King. It. The Bookworm. Sunday, 12 to 1 on Fab... It's 12, it must be the bookworm. Welcome everyone, uh, this is Nympha Hayes and uh, you're listening to Fab Radio International and it's the bookworm time. Um, as always, you can find the bookworm at Radio Bookworm on Facebook, uh, the bookworm on Twitter and on Tumblr. And of course, if you missed us and would like to listen to us later on, or if you loved the show so much that you're thinking... Mm, actually, I want to listen again. You can go on Mixcloud and soon on um, iTunes as well. Who knew? Um, so for the station, fabradiointernational.com, you can also Twitter them or you can Facebook them. And don't forget that we love Facebook, so just, just get in touch. However you do it, however you want to do it, just tell us. Tell us all about your books, your favourite books, and what you're doing on this wonderful Sunday. Uh, we'll be back in a minute with some news, and uh, the show today will be sort of revolving around kind of fantasy and a little bit of paranormal, some young adult, because you all know I love it. Um, so we'll be back shortly with the news. This is producer Al. Uh, also coming up on today's show, Ed will be reviewing Son of the Morning. Nympha will be reviewing Eternal Beloved. Um, and if you can hear a bass rumble in the background, we apologise. That's the warm-up for the Great Manchester Run, which is happening exactly outside of our studio. <laughs> Welcome to the Bookworm on Fab Radio International. You're listening to FabRadioInternational.com and this is the Bookworm. I'm your host Ed Fortune and I'm here with... At Nympha Hayes. So, hello everyone and then... Um, We're on yes. to the news, I believe. We're, we are on to the news. Give me a moment. <laughs> what juicy, bookish tidbits have you got for us today, Edward? Uh, I, have, I have all sorts of things going on. <laughs> um, Including the Manchester Run just outside our and the offices. Manchester Run just. I had, a, I had a woman push me around, and I mean, let's face it, she gave me the best, the best excuse ever. I turned around and glared at her, and she went like to me, and she looked at me and went, "I'm sorry, I have to pick up some cake." And I went, for, "That's fair enough." In, in fairness, that is that's an that's excuse. fair enough. So I mean, if you're going to give me an excuse, I'll just bow away. If the studio seems more chaotic than usual, it's because there's chaos going on outside. It's not so us murdering random authors left in our cupboards we swear oh no 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 no, no. That, that would be <laughs> monstrous um so uh, on the on the book news um uh let's start with uh caitlin moran causing controversy because she's got a new book coming out um what caitlin moran has said and she's told the the book press is that she was moved to um write the novel how to build a girl in response to 50 shades of gray um uh, which she said made her angry and despairing. Uh, interviewed with various parts of the book press, she said that she didn't think there was enough 
books out there for fat, gobby teenage girls, because she has obviously not been paying attention to the publishing industry for the last decade. Um, wow. Did she actually use the word fat? She did. She said and gobby. fat, gobby teenage girls. She was talking about herself. Um, has she not heard of my mad fat diary? Just off the top of my head. Yeah. The tremendously well sold book that is now a TV show mm-hmm. with a massive fandom. Um, one of the quotes is these form your sexual uh, she's talking about Jenny Cooper here these form your sexual imagination and I want to get in there before anyone else and talk about sex she she, she lives on Planet Moran and she's been living <laughs> on Planet Moran for quite some time now um, I mean there was that whole incident a while ago where she just basically insulted fan fiction writers and made um, yes. made, made the actors from Sherlock incredibly uncomfortable in an act of I mean you know she has this kind of persona, which is this incredibly kind of loud... Gobby. Uh, gobby. <laughs> and, you know, self-absorbed sort of personality. And, yeah, I mean, uh, she's, she's she's selling a novel called How to Build a Girl. Uh, listen to our show and find out about much, much better... You can't say that. You haven't read it. Uh, that's that's fair. That's fair. Uh huh. Uh huh. We want to be, you know, we want to be fair. It might be good if if you're interested, pick it up. We're on the fence because you know. But we're not going to do controversy. We're not going to really review Caitlin Moran because there's Probably better not. out there. No, but <laughs> but you know, out out there, someone might love it. How many days has it been since Caitlin Moran attempted to self-promote Caitlin Moran? Yeah, zero. Let's reset the klaxon. Um, How many days is it since DC Comics? Has have done something stupid. How many days is it since since a science fiction organisation has said something silly? Um, we need a klaxon. Should, really it really should do. be a drinking game. <laughs> no, you we would all be drunk all day long. And you would, you would too. You would die. You'd just pick, you'd just pick up like alcohol poisoning. Why is it that all these people all of a sudden have come into hospital with alcohol poisoning? Eh, it's just this new trendy game that's going on. Every time the DC 52 came out with a new volume, it would just die. <laughs> of, um, it's totally off topic for the news, but I've been reading eh. the DC 52 volume 4s for, okay. for Starburst magazine. Which, uh, which is Fab Radio International and the bookworm we're a part of. Um, and oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I, I'll not be reviewing them on the show because I, I, you know, this is not a swearing show. Um, <laughs> some, of them, some of them are very good in fairness, but some of them are vastly disappointing. Uh, other news, uh, independent booksellers will be able to mark themselves out from the competition thanks to Independent Booksellers Week, 28th of Ju- June to the 5th of July. And in fairness, independent booksellers tend to be fairly... You know, stand out amongst the crowd anyway. Yeah. Um, but Hodder, Headline, Hatchet, and Orion are throwing books at them. Um, stuff like uh, How to Train Your Dragon um, mm. and you know, stuff stuff from Artemis Cooper's Batlist and uh, Alan Bradley's Batlist. Whole pile of stuff. Uh, signed books will also be made available to independent book, book publishers. So that's cool. Um, in other news, Random Penguin. And uh, finally, finalising their merger by in the sense that they're moving people around. Um, so their consumer marketing development operations division are combining now. Jesus, and a close. That, that's so, a mouthful. Yeah, it basically all means that it's real. 
Yeah, you know, we kind of know that we've known that Random Penguin have been merged for a while. But yeah, now it's little things like that make you feel like actually goodness, that that's really happening there. And there's a bit of a shuffle. There's some some new departments being opening and kind of closing and this mm. sort of thing. But yeah, I suppose unless you're actually in publishing, it's not terribly interesting. So we'll skip past it. Not in that sort of thing, stuff. Uh, Inkling, who are a multimedia publishing platform, have lost a quarter of its workforce and are um, changing their business model. So Ooh. more more jobless losses in the world of publishing. Boo. So, boo. And um, in exciting, you can become an author too and enjoy our suffering. Um, <laughs> Fox Spirit books. We love Fox Spirit. Do we? Yeah, we do. We, okay. we love Fox Spirit. Uh, they're awesome. Um, Adele Waring is lovely. Um, it's a really, really good independent um, book publishers. Uh, they do some great stuff. Uh, regular readers of Fox Spirit books know that know that women are pretty badass, um, and their new their new their commissioning window, their new submissions window is called Wicked Women. Ooh. Um, it's all about they're looking for stories about women who generally aim to misbehave. I might have something. <laughs> Uh, any variation of fantasy, SF, horror, or crime, so basically genre slash, slash cult. Um, length 4,000 to 8,000 words. You can find out more by going on to the Fox Spirit. So is it short answer. stories then? It's a short stories I've anthology. I've got something. I've got something. I'm sure you have. Um, they pay a uh, profit share for two years. The, okay. the usual, you know, it's a, it's a nominal, yeah, nominal yeah. fee. And then, of course. And then, so it's like, uh, here is some money, but and here is a share if it does really, really well. Um, that usual thing. So well, there, very really cool, good. very cool. Really. So um, coming up next, um, review from Ed. We have a book review. Across the world, twenty-four hours a day. Hello again. So, uh, so uh, I'm going to be talking about Son of the Morning, um, which is a book by Mark Adler. Okay. Um, uh, so, let's see, where are we? Um, so, it's set in the 14th century, at the back of the book, because these, these things always do this sort of thing. It goes, if you enjoyed the Game of Thrones, <laughs> yes, it's, a, it's another large yeah. book that you Drink can, up, people, drink up. Uh, for for new listeners, we have this uh, little game that every time we see a book that um, says... It's a new yeah, Game of Thrones, Game of or Thrones. George R. R. Martin, move aside. And then we pour ourselves on a nice single malt. Unfortunately, we're now all alcoholics. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a horrific idea, and we should never have done it in the first place. Um, however, um, a lot of these... I mean, it's marketing. I love that whole thing. Absolutely. And what they're saying is... This is a large, complicated book with lots and lots of characters doing lots and lots of things who are backstabbing each other. Mainly um, high fantasy. It's and and the, and there's a fair amount of bonking. So if you enjoy George or Martin, you might enjoy Mark, Mark Adler. Now this is interesting because it's not, as you say, um, Game of Thrones is high fantasy, and though this is high fantasy, it's high fantasy in an entirely different direction to the one that you might expect. 
It's set in the 14th century. King Edward of England is waging a war against King Philip of France. Oh yes, it's the Hundred Years' War, which is not even a war, which is not a war and it doesn't last a hundred years, but still. Uh, both sides of the conflict um, are, are, you know, winning on one side or the other. Um, however, in this world, God's presence is much, much more noticeable, by which I mean angels are manifest upon the world. Mm. And the angels are fighting on the side of the French. Really? Now, the reason the angels are fighting on the side of the French is if you if you know the Hundred Years' War and you're forgiving it, I'll forgive you if you don't, because I didn't. Um, the French have a clear line of lineage. and Merovingian. The, well, that as well. But the, 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 the 14th century belief, of course, says that the, you know, the king is the right hand of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the, the, the land of the king won. There is a whole connection between God and its manifest destiny and divine right that they rule. King Edward, of course, is an usurper. So, so he's kind of broken the divine plan, and, and God doesn't like that. So, you know, Philip's got fifty thousand men, and you can put them in the field, and you can summon angels. And the, the English have one angel who's a bit grumpy. Uh, doesn't really, he doesn't really say much um, and he's a bit weird the angels in this by the way are terrifyingly strange as you'd expect them to be they're not kind of they're not like in the TV show Supernatural where they all wear t- French coats and they're a bit whiny they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they're proper divine forces that can do these horrific things um, the thing is there is options open I mean if you're fighting angels there is of course an option open you can call upon open, the demons. You can always open the gates of hell. Yay! And, and one of the things Adler does really, really well, and this fairly early on in the book, is he defines a de- he, he he puts the factions of hell. So you've got the devils who are running around, and they're devils, and they're just like they're they're you know anarchic, devilly creatures, and they they want their own individual freedom. And then you have Lucifer and Lucifer's chums, and Lucifer, of course, is a fallen angel. So you have a different set of not nice angels who live in hell and you also have the devils and the devils tie themselves into this whole again this whole 14th century anti-kingdom anti you know you know, republican kind of vibe um, the, 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 there's a faction of there's a faction of devils who are essentially you know anarchic and freedom and every rights for individual man. So and they're devil. the good guys, basically. <laughs> and then there's a bunch of, and there's Lucifer and Chums. We see this is it. Um, the, the wonderful. He he goes through multiple perspectives again. Again, Thorne's analogy here. Uh, he has lots. Isn't lots it? Of I mean, uh, let's face it. George R. R. Martin did not invent high fantasy or multi perspective. No, he, he didn't. No, he didn't. But he brought them into vogue, and then different mm. styles are now into vogue. So you know, you can you can. Uh, it's fair to make the comparison. Of course. Um, Drink, Edward. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, my liver, my poor liver. Um, but history has given us all the various characters. So, for example, we get William Montagu as a character. But Adler, what Adler does is he brings really to life. And he, if you if you know your history, you're like, he's a bit of a dodgy hero. He's not a nice man. On the other hand, there's reasons why Montagu thinks he's doing the right thing. There's, there's reasons not just from a history perspective but this is a world where they are angels, they are devils and one of the things that Adler does really really well as well is you can you can almost smell the battlefield 
you know you can see the flies swarming you know Charming. you can you see the kind of the, the, the gates to hell are really absolutely terrifying um, there's a great character in there who's essentially uh, he's, he's, he's a pawn of hell but he's a pawn of hell for all the right reasons and he's just you know he's sort of just as pretty much as an innocent peasant who's brought into all of this but over time he's like well no actually this is the direction I should go in um, it's it's a frighteningly impressive book um, it's a very well brought out very well realised wonderful book and I, I have the problem I have I have with the sun of the morning is it is so dense and it is so absorbing that normally normally I do this thing and I'm not bragging but normally I do this thing where I'll, I'll read a book I'll put it down I'll pick up another one within the hour and start again you know I'll make my notes yeah. and off I go I had to take a day off wow because I had a day off and uh, to dream and to relax and just to get my, my you know and I was still I've still I've been thinking about this book for weeks to be honest it's been stuck in my brain that's good um it's totally going to be a classic. Uh, look out for the sun of the morning. It's totally going to be, um, you know, the next big book. Is uh, it? Um, is it part of a series? Um, it's. Well, let's talk a, bit, a little bit more about that after these messages. Listening to FabRadioInternational.com, and this is the Big Room, and we're talking about Mark Adler's uh, The Son of the Morning. Son of the Morning. Uh, there is a book out called Son of Morning, and there's The Son of the Morning, and it's one of those, one of those unfortunate. Well, you, kind know. Of, you know, there's only so many titles out there. Uh, Son of the Morning is is 900 pages plus. It, it's big. Um, it's a big watching book. If you drop it, you'll break the book. Would you say it's historical fantasy? Because it's definitely, it doesn't sound like high fantasy. I would say it's historical fantasy with a heavy high fantasy element because okay. these are nuclear bombs of angels. It's the short version. These you are see, I, I look at high fantasy as more of a are there elves and dwarves? If there aren't, then it's fantasy. I would, I would say it certainly owes more to uh, Bernard Connell than it does to George Orwell. Oh, okay. Uh, I think I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to bring um, currently they're, they're trying to get people back into the habit of reading big watching books, mm. and this is a big watching book. Um, I don't think it needs a sequel. Okay. Um, but I didn't think that <laughs> I didn't think the first Game of Thrones needed a sequel. That is a controversial piece. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It, it's a, it, it's a strong narrative. It is very well researched. It's very well blended. He doesn't do the aren't I clever thing, which mm. I like. He, he, there's no there's no point there's no bit in there where he goes off for like four hundred for 
you know, 40 pages and goes, ah, and of course this means this. And, and you sit there going, well, no, I've read books in the years, but I've read thank you very much, I don't need that. <laughs> he doesn't do that. And that was one of my concerns going in. Yeah. Was that I was going to get a lecture on... On the 100 year rule. On Cressy, for example. Oh, okay. Or, you know, on the on the logics and logistics and the design. And, and that kind of would have put me off because though I'm not a massive history buff, um, the bits that I know I do know. Yeah. Um, and you kind of form your own opinions because it's history and there's only set, there's only so many sources. Um, it's one of the things about the writing is it is dense, and this is not the sort of book that you can. It, it, it's not actually not very easy to dip into or out of. It was one of those ones that I, I tried reading it on the train. And I was kind of doing this thing. And I was like, <laughs> I have to get off this stop now. And then you'd find a moment to finish reading what you'd been reading. You could, mm. just, you could uh, occasionally I had to go back and reread a chapter, not because of any form of writing, but because of the density of the style and the density of the storytelling. I, I had to, to take a step back. Okay. Um, so it, it is one of those. It's not the world's easiest. So it's one of those that probably best on when you're home and you've got time to think about what you're reading and, you know, this a quiet place. Um, sort of when, like, I mean, that's that's what I think when I'm reading The Lord of the Rings. You know, I need a quiet place to pick this huge tome and just really think about what I'm reading it's because a, otherwise I won't get it. I mean, it's a big watching book. I mean, one of the things that happens when, when you review a lot of books is your heart sort of sinks when these things turn up because you're just like, oh, my goodness, when will I find the time? <laughs> um, but once I was hooked, I was hooked. That's good. Um, so it's out now. It's been out for a while now. Um, Sounds extremely interesting. I mean, I'm not a big history buff, but the idea of angels and demons actually involved in 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 the Hundred Years War is quite quite interesting to me. Um, there's some there's some beautifully horrific bits in it. As well. <laughs> beautifully um, horrific. I love it. Um, if you if you know your kind of your your, your biblical fantasy. I hesitate to use the words biblical fantasy in case it upsets someone, but that kind of that you know, it Christianity is so filled with monsters and mm. angels, and you know the whole the whole <clears throat> the whole Christian myth, and I use that phrase very carefully before anyone complains, um, is filled with uh, kind of a rogues gallery of horrific things. Oh, of course, yeah, and you have a sea battle and I'll not spoil it but there is a sea battle they are angels it gets messy um, and it's just it's just hideous it is absolutely hideous um, so once more so what's the title it's called The Son of the Morning it is by Mark Alder um, and it's it's out there it sounds pretty awesome pick it up um, so coming up next we have some magic Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fabrian International. So, uh, we caught up with Kami Patel, uh, our lovely friend Angry Robot, uh, arranged an interview with the, the young lady and we talked to her about her debut novel. She's also uh, a games designer um, and she's got a 
great book co- coming out called The Buried Life, and we were very n- lucky enough to catch up with her to talk about The Buried Life, and we also had a very sneaky chat about her work at Obsidian Games as well. This is Fab Radio International. Welcome to the bookworm, Carrie Patel. Thank you so much for having me. And um, can you, just, just to start off, can you tell us a bit about The Buried Life, please? Sure. The Buried Life is my first novel. Uh, it is a speculative fiction mystery with political elements. Um, it's sort of steampunk, but more with the Victorian intrigue and less with the cogs and airships. Uh, and it takes place in an underground city called Recoleta, um, where murders among the upper echelons have started to attract notice. What's the appeal for you of the Victorian period? I think there's just a lot of interesting potential there for this dissonance between what things look like on the surface and then what's really going on underneath. And granted, what I'm working with is really not a faithful representation of Victorian anything, and it's not a historical novel by any means. I've just always been fascinated by, you know, the aesthetic of this, you know, nice veneer of civility with... um plenty of room for hiding secrets and keeping skeletons in the closet. If someone was a fan of, say, Gail Carragher and similar sort of steampunk novels, what would appeal to them with The Buried Life? I think uh, there's a little bit of a, say, there's a bit of a preoccupation with sort of class and what it means to sort of come from one background um, and try to uh, not necessarily put yourself in among people who aren't very much like you, but I guess sort of maneuver in a very hierarchical society um, with someone who maybe doesn't have the advantage of, you know, the right kind of background or the right kind of name or the right identity. How much do you think that um, a Western society is still controlled by class? And how does this influence your work? That's an interesting question. Um, I guess it it probably really depends from one context to the next. Um, I suppose that I like to think that... uh, you know, society is pretty mobile at this point, and that, you know, there's at least the opportunity for most people to rise above their rank, and I certainly don't think that there's quite the same attention given, you know, these days to, to uh, you know, what someone's name is or where they come from, as there was perhaps in earlier times. But I think there's always, you know, there's always an interest in a protagonist who maybe has a bit of a chip on her shoulder or, you know, some kind of disadvantage to overcome. And so when you have a hierarchical society or, you know, something that's based around, you know, the incident of someone's birth or some detail like that, I think it's always satisfying to see somebody overcome a disadvantage like that. What's the biggest difference between the real world and the world of the buried life? (laughs) Well, so there's a bit of a world-building detail in there that I can't really give away without spoiling something, but um, I guess on the surface, no pun intended, biggest difference is probably that the main setting for the buried life is an underground city. Um, I just thought that seemed like an interesting setting and an interesting way to, again, kind of explore the idea of what's hidden and what's revealed and where people find these comfort zones in um, keeping secrets uh, and so, yeah, I'd, I'd say that that aspect of the setting differs pretty wildly from what we really have today. Is it also a procedural drama? Because just reading uh, from from what I can see, it looks a bit like a cop show set in the Victorian period. There is definitely... Um, so there are actually two main protagonists, and one of them is a police inspector. And so her side of the story is unraveling this mystery, you know, as as an inspector, as an official... Um, and so 
that's sort of true, but I guess I also tried to stay away from a really strict procedural um, type of formula. And as the story goes on, it turns out that her investigation is no longer really supported by her superiors, so her methods become a little more underhanded and a little less official. Where do you plan to go next? Are you going to plan another book in the series, or are you going to write something else? Actually, right now I am working on a sequel. Um, and actually, just before I sold this one, I was working on a very different kind of novel, a, um, a more traditional science fiction novel based around a Mars colony. So at some point, I will go back to that as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about either of those? Or? Sure. So uh, the science fiction novel um, is based around a Mars colony, and uh, it's based around two ideas. And one is the bare branches phenomenon that you see in India and China, which is where you have where for the next 100 years, both countries are expected to have large populations of unmarriageable males because of uh, basically gender ratio imbalances. And so you couple, and that's generally correlated with a lot of social and political unrest. And you combine that with the fact that a, um, a colony on Mars is technically feasible right now, although certainly very expensive and time consuming. Um, and so the premise there is, you know, you have this large population that uh, theoretically, people might want to get out of the country and put to some productive labor elsewhere, and then you have a, um, a large uninhabited planet where there would be a, a great need for labor to colonize and to terraform. Um, and so it's sort of a, it's a novel about the people who get sent and what they end up doing there, and also about trying to overcome uh, less than ideal, very disadvantageous circumstances and backgrounds. Is genre fiction becoming more socially aware? I think so, and I think if no other reason, then I think the idea of genre fiction is really expanding. Um, I think now you have writers uh, like Michael Chabon um, who, and Margaret Atwood who are not necessarily considered genre, genre writers first and foremost, but who write science fiction and fantasy novels. Um, and I think, you know, people no longer see science fiction as all about aliens and spaceships, and fantasy is all about magic and wizards, I think there's a much broader acceptance of what those terms mean, and so in that space we can explore different topics, some of which focus on heightened social awareness, and some of which are just very different kinds of stories. Given that the first science fiction novel is arguably Frankenstein, and that's about technology and uh, you know the, the, where science should go, mm -hmm. why is there this perception that sci-fi is somehow less than it should be? I think... I think part of it may be because some of the more, I guess just the things that come to people's minds typically when they think of science fiction are very, very specific examples, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, um, Robert Heinlein, and all those things are very good, but I think when you have any genre that's sort of defined by these large, um, by these large examples, it's, it can sometimes be hard for people to get around the idea that it can be something more. And I've definitely talked to a lot of people who say, well, I wouldn't want to read these kinds of things because I'm not interested in aliens and I'm not interested in magic. Um, and so I think, you know, if you go into, go into it with that mindset, it can be sort of hard sometimes to get people, to warm people up to the idea that there's really a lot more in the genre to enjoy. And that even, even stories about aliens and about wizards are not just about aliens and wizards. They're about people with real, with real pop problems that are relevant to us that just happen to live in these strange and different worlds. What, uh, what sort of media and what sort of art would you say inspires you? I guess I like to think I'm a bit of an omnivore. Um, 
I like a little bit of everything. I think some of my favorite writers are uh, Neil Stevenson. I just, I love the way that his prose has such a sense of humor um, and that it's still, it's still very clever. Um, and it's, I remember in um, Anathem, he's got all these appendices to explain these different uh, mathematical concepts that figure into the plot. And I never thought I would enjoy reading something like that so much, but his writing is just so entertaining that I got a kick out of that too. Um, and I, you know, as a writer, I hate to shift the focus to TV, but I think television shows have come a long way too and have done a good job of exploring very interesting plot arcs and character arcs um, in, in, you know, in this medium too. When you're building a world, where do you start? I usually actually try to start with the characters. Um, I think it's the stories about people that interest me. And so I start with the people whose stories I want to tell and kind of what their situation is. And then I think, okay, well, what's the world that would fit around them? And what's the world that would clarify what their problems are and, you know, what it is that they're up against? Um, if you only had one book and you were on a desert island, um, mm -hmm. what would that book be? Hmm. Maybe War and Peace, because it's just so long and I haven't read it yet, and I think I could take that one nice and slowly. Um, and what is your dream project? What what thing would you love to work on? It can be any form of medium. What thing would you, you know, if you could do a dream pitch, what would it be? You know, I feel like I'm kind of working on that right now. I've got, you know, a book on the one, on the one hand that I'm working on, and in my day job, I'm a narrative designer for a gaming company called Obsidian Entertainment, um, a video game developer. And so I get to write dialogue and stories and characters for computer games, and that's a blast too. So honestly, I'm extremely happy with what I'm working on right now. Can you tell us a bit about Pillars of Eternity, please? You know, I'm a, probably nothing that hasn't already been released. Um, because it was a, originally a Kickstarter-funded project, there's a lot of information already out there through backer updates. Um, and the company tends to put out new information every couple of weeks or so. So there's actually quite a lot already out there, but I'd have to be careful about not saying anything that isn't already public information. And um, three very quick and silly questions just to um, just to finish off, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, Simpsons or Futurama? Probably Futurama. Um, vampires or werewolves? Werewolves. And finally, truth or beauty? Truth. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Brilliant, thanks. And we'll, we'll cut it there. Um, you mentioned your work for Obsidian Entertainment. Those hands are playing the strangest musical instrument in the world. The only instrument that is not touched by hands. You ask for it. Welcome back. This is the Bookworm on Fab Radio International. I'm Nympha Hayes. I'm here with my lovely co-host, Edward Fortune. Hello. Hello. Uh, we've just listened to the lovely Carrie Patel's interview. Um, and just remind us, Ed, what's her book that's coming out? It's called The Buried Life. It will be out on Angry Robot uh, very soon. Um, very cool. And she was lovely. Very, very yeah. nice interview. 
very lovely, very interesting interview. Um, so, um, very, very different book I'm reviewing from. Usually we go by genre. Um, today, um, so Ed picked sort of a like, big, chunky historical um, fantasy. Um, I've actually picked... Um, it's an Immortal Beloved, uh, which is the first book in a trilogy of young adult books. Um, it's sort of paranormal fantasy fiction. Is this the sort of novel that Caitlin Roman should be reading? That what? <laughs> <laughs> drink up, Andrew, drink! <laughs> and it's by the lovely Kate Tiernan. I hope I've um, pronounced her surname correctly. If not, my apologies. Um, and um, it's... it's uh, it's as I said. It's a, sort of a young adult, but but I, I use the term very loosely, and you'll find out why in a, in a moment. And it's um, published by Hodder. So what's it about? Um, Immortal Beloved is the story of um, Nastasia Nasty for short. Right, that's a nickname. Yes, um, and um, it starts in London um, after a club night. There's a bunch of young kids just um, getting back to their flat and there's nothing you know different about any other kid going clubbing and having a bit of a drink and having a bit of a laugh and being a bit silly until um, Nasty's best friend Incy Innocencio uh, decides that uh, the taxi driver has annoyed him and kills him with magic uh, now th- that's that's the that's beginning. <laughs> that's the beginning of the book, and it's quite a dark book in places. Basically, as you progress with the book, you discover that Nastasia is actually not her real name, and she's lived for hundreds of years. She's part of um, a, a race of of well, we'll say immortals, but but they can die. Uh, she hasn't. She's lived for a very, very long while. Uh, the last few sort of decades um, with with her best friend Incy just travelling the world and doing different things and assuming different personalities. Uh, and, and basically at this point in her life, you know, when there's the proverbial last drop in the glass and the glass just sort of overflows that's pretty much what happens to Nasty Um, she remembers just out of nowhere that in the 1920s she had this horrific car crash and a woman stopped to help and she remembers this woman being really kind and kind of looking at her and almost through her as if she could see more than, than, than Nastasia had ever shown anyone else and being invited um, to the States um, to visit this woman called River uh, at River's Edge. So out of nowhere, this memory seems to pop back up into her mind and stressed out and tired of, of the life that she's been leading and a bit disturbed by the fact that her best friend's just basically killing random people for no apparent reason, using magic, which is almost a forbidden thing for them, a, a, a sort of an unknown quantity in their world. Um, she up and leaves and and heads off to uh, River's Edge to to meet River. And what she finds is that River sort of uh, runs um, almost like a detox sort of place, like a rehab for for immortals, where she helps people get in touch with their own selves and sort of discover who they are and and what they want out of life and and, kind of 
get in touch with that magic that is such a big part of their lives, even though a lot of them don't realise it. I love that as an, uh, an idea of rehab for mortals. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of now I have the mental image of um, of a vampire with a twenty four hours sober chip. <laughs> Well, immortals in this case is is more sort of like that particular race, and and it's very it's very interesting the mythology of of this sort of race that kind of grew with with humanity at the same pace, and you know by all by all um, things that they look exactly like us. You know, there's no difference apart from the fact that they have access to magic, and and they they live for a very 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 long time unless they get killed so they're like a mystical ubermensch but a separate race um they are and they aren't uh, i mean some of them still love humans and 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 there's a part of um nastasia's story uh where obviously during the books in fact during the, the three books because this is a trilogy as i mentioned before it's immortal beloved darkness falls um and eternally yours and um, and during the three books, you get glimpses, um, very small at first, and then obviously as as it progresses, Anastasia sort of finds not finds out, but but admits to who she is and and why she's become what she's become. Um, you know, you see her through the through through history, from her family when her family. Uh, when she lived with her family in Iceland uh, and then she moved on and she got married and had kids like everyone else and her husband was just a human so so they're, they're separate but they're not so are the kids immortal or is there a chance it uh, the kid unfortunately dies so we never we never find out and throughout throughout nasty story I love I love that nickname I think it's brilliant um, you kind of see why she makes the choices that she does and why she ends up you know with the people that she does because as i said her best friend Incy is not exactly the, the the nicest guy in town um he's a bit pretentious bit crazy uh loving fun loving and you know everything that's luxurious there's there's a wonderful bit in book three where she remembers this life where she basically just lived um on a beach just just in thailand just on a beach um, forever and ever and that's all she wanted to do she was just wake up in the morning and just sit on the beach and enjoy the waves and, and dance and, and just, just just be and he hates it he absolutely hates it does everything he can to take her away from that peaceful little harbour that she's created um, but it's it's it's. I really loved it and I mean Kate Tiernan is, is one of my favourite authors uh, when it comes to magic and how she describes it she's very thorough uh, in her description and, and the building up of the whole magical world and the mythology um, her previous she had well she's written several things but one of her first series was the I think in the UK it's called Wicca and it's the sweep series in the US um, and it's a series of little chat books about 150 pages 170 pages each about this girl that discovers that she's a witch um, and, and it's a wonderful wonderful series and again the magic in it is just great um, very very young adult um, both of the series although as I said this one it's young adult because you know she looks very young she looks sort of like late teens is early 20s is it also young adult because it's aimed at that kind of 
how how loud is the violence? How loud is the sex? How prominent? Is the uh, sex is very tame. Um, there are there is a love story throughout. I mean, Immortal Beloved just gives you away the fact that there, there is going to be a love story that's going to be kind of central to the plot, but not so much that it eclipses the fact that it is sort of a journey to find yourself. Um, and I did I did find that um, nasty. It's just that the, the the growth that the character does throughout the three books it's very credible because it's not from one day to the other she gets there and all of a sudden oh yeah she loves life she she has relapses she runs away at one point and and it's it's very hard for her to to, to do the things that she's asked to do because basically they're working in an organic farm so you know they have to feed the pigs and get the eggs and 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 all that um violence there is there are there are quite in fact from book one you get especially in the glimpses of the past there's a lot of of war bits and and there's a bit where basically her family's butchered that's quite strong visually nothing that a teen couldn't sort of you know bear to read uh, but I would say late teens more than than you know a 14 year old perhaps although you know that said if I was 14 I would have probably read this and thought it was awesome as well Um, So who would you recommend it to? um, um, If you like young adult stories, um, if you like sort of stories of discovery, it's not a fast-paced book because there's a lot of introspection throughout the book um, in in terms of Nasty's growth and and how she sees herself and how she comes to see herself through the eyes of others. Um, So it's very much about that. It's very much about facing the dark within and finding that, you know, yeah, it's there, but it doesn't have to be all that you are. I'm assuming we're just going straight to it, so you're talking about books. Embrace the alternative with Fab Radio. Across the world, 24 hours a day. Hello, Biblovers. So we were just talking about Mortal Beloved, and who's that by? It's Kate Tiernan. It's on um, Hodder, and as I said, it's young adult. If you love stories that are romantic, introspective, um, slow, nice pace, um, then this is probably the book for you. Shall we talk about the Nebulas? Oh, shall we? I think it's very exciting, actually. So, the Nebula Awards are awarded by the SFWA, and the 2013 Nebula Awards, so those are the awards for last year, have been announced. So, um, so what's remarkable about this year's uh, award? Um, all of the ones that were voted for by the membership have been won by women. Woohoo! Wave, pom-pom waving! Now, that is interesting. It's, it's, it shouldn't be. You know what? It really it shouldn't be remarkable. We should live in a society where that should happen. That should just be a thing. I mean, you know, ne- the Nebula Awards have been run solely by men for, for quite some time. So, the, you know, statistically, you should have a run where it's always women who win. Um, but given the way that science fiction writing societies 
he said in the broadest possible terms, <laughs> tend to court controversy about this sort of thing. And given the fact that the old guard is, let's be honest, um, made up of white older men, let's 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 be fall into the controversial head. Have a drink. It's not terribly terribly controversial. <laughs> no, if I did that, I'd die. Every time there was controversy in the science fiction world, I'd, I'd, I'd you'd be dead I'd with be no liver. Um, but yeah, um, what we have here is—I mean, there is one man who won. Well, there's technically two. The Kevin O'Donnell Jr. Service to SFWA Award went to Michael Armstrong, uh, and the 2013 Damon Knight Grandmaster Award went to Samuel R. Delaney. Let's be honest, Samuel R. Delaney. Grandmaster Award is a bit... Is that the Congratulations You're Still Alive Award? Yeah, it's Congratulations no. You're Still Alive. It's the honorary Oscar. But, but yeah. Samuel R. Delaney is awesome. I mean, let's be honest. Um, so, totally, totally deserving of... An award. So that was in uh, San Jose, in California. Do you know the way to San Jose? Because I don't. Cause Do I you know the what? Way to San Jose. <laughs> it's, a, it's a terrible joke. Shall we talk about who the winners actually were? Yes, shall we? So do we, do we want to start with novel? Uh, Okie doke. The winner for best novel was Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie. That's and I'm going to pronounce some of these names wrong, for which I apologise now. It's worth pointing out that she, she beat the ocean at the end of the, the end of the lane by Neil Gaiman. I know. Which has won every other award it's gone in for. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much, because it's uh, the ocean at the end, end of the lane. If you've not read it, read it. Um, <laughs> it <is very laughs> Just do good. it. That said, if you've not read Insolary Justice, read it. I mean, okay, we, we, you might be sitting there listening and going, I don't have time. No, no, seriously, it's really, really good. Uh, it's on Orbit in the US and Orbit in the UK as well. Um, yeah, well done. And again, an excellent choice. Um, best novella? Uh, best novella is The Weight of the Sunrise by Vilar Kaftan. Kaftan? Kaftan, yes. I, that I've pronounced wrong, definitely. <laughs> well, congratulations. Uh, and was that... Few Azimuths. That's Few Azimuths. Azimuths, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, cool. I don't know it at all, I must admit. I Because if we read everything that was up for one of these science fiction awards, we wouldn't have time to present the show. <laughs> uh, novelette? Novelette is The Waiting Stars by Al- Aliette de Baudard. Hurrah! <laughs> um, <laughs> there was a big whoop whoop from Ed when, when, when we were told before. Uh, uh, when. when uh, when we were preparing this, we were just talking about various bits and pieces. I made a very happy sound because uh, Hannah de Bodard is one of the greatest up and coming authors currently in the modern age. I would, I mean, she's she's really, really good. She's a really good fantasy author. Um, a blog's worth of reading. Read. It's heavy going, actually. I find the blog quite heavy going on mm. occasion. And she very much is in the forefront of. Uh, the progressive movement and the kind of the modernisation of the science fiction societies as well, simply by being who she is. You know, she, she, she's she's not you know leading a charge. She's just because she is awesome. She's just in the room at the time. Um, best short story. Best short story. If you were a dinosaur, my love, that by Rachel sound- Swirsky. I've, that sounds that fantastic. That sounds awesome. <laughs> just, just if you were a dinosaur, my love. I mean. Just the title, just, 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 yes, just pick it up and read it. I don't even know what it is, but it sounds it's, awesome. It sounds like a conversation I have had, <laughs> <laughs> or something that someone has said to me, or I have said to someone. Um, 
So get, getting on to the, the slightly less spooky ones, uh, the Ray Bradbury Award for Outstanding Dramatic Presentation. Gravity. <laughs> There's a big sigh after big that. Sigh. I mean, it was against some some other awesome stuff there. It was up against the day of the Doctor. I know. Um, I know the, the, right? the balloons for the runner three. They have broken three. <laughs> so, sorry. Uh, Ram balloon. Fly we, balloon. We've fly. completely become distracted by the fact that we we are uh, as regular listeners know we we are based in Manchester city centre. We're right in the middle of the city of Manchester, uh, the setting city of the United Kingdom, and. There is this these these floating balloons <laughs> wandering past because there's a huge kind of uh, run happening just literally outside our studio, and um, yeah, okay, so not up then we we but gravity and, and not anything Doctor Who related. <laughs> the day of the Doctor, yeah, you, do you know what? That's going to win a Hugo though. Something well, well yeah, but are we, are we not concerned that there's that much Doctor Who stuff nominated for the Hugo that the vote could be split? That's true. Because there's the day of the Doctor, there's Adventures in Space and Time. And there's the Five Ish Doctors reboot. The Five Ish Doctors is amazing. Totally I, I so want that to win awards yes. just because Davison just so deserves it. Uh, back back to the Nebulous. <laughs> uh, it's interesting actually that this that these these awards are interesting from the point of view that if you look at the Hugos and you look at the Nebulous and you compare the two, one is kind of a response to the other. And uh, the Nebula Awards and the SFWA have not been without the controversy recently, but you do wonder if there is a statement being very specifically made here. Mm. Um, and do you know what? I hope it, I hope it's not a statement. I just hope that people are picking books because they are fantastic. Um, um, it shouldn't have anything to do with politics. It should have everything to do with the fact that these writers are bloody awesome. And we haven't mentioned the Andre Norton Award for Young Adult Science Fiction and Fantasy, which went to Sister Mine by. N- Narlo, Nalo, Narlo Hopkinson, and I apologise if I've said that wrong. You see, I'm a I, I'm a little bit um, gutted here because Hero by Alicia Contis was up. And that's a great book, and the Quartz Girl in Cold Town, um, which is published by Indigo, which we talked about a little while yes. ago. Yes, um, and we really like the Quartz Girl in Cold Town, um, and yeah, oh well. Um, but Sister Mine, never of us have read it, yeah. so we can't really comment. Um, but there you go. We'll, we'll so have yeah, to. So it's very very cool. Some great books there. Whether they're written for women, or from by women, sorry, or not, I don't think, as you say, matters. It matters that they're awesome. It, it does. I mean, it, it, you know, we have to say it's news because it's you know, it breaks the norm. <clears throat> but the norm needs beating up and um, kicking into the floor. To be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so, what, what what have you received this week? Because I know I've, I've had a couple of good books. Oh, blimey! I I have a pile of stuff that I'm still <laughs> still, um, still barraging through at the moment. I've got Barrow to sit and read um, this 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 week possibly. Um, I've got just got a review of Harry Dresden. I've got a review mm. of song. Um, All the reviews. Heirs of the Demon King. Heirs of the Demon King. Or Sarah Cockwell. Ah, eh. Um, very, very good. Um, and um, yes, so oh, so coming up next, aging. He struggled with himself too. I saw it. I heard it. I saw the inconceivable mystery of a soul that knew no restraint, no faith, and no fear. Yet struggling blindly with itself. Joseph Conrad. Heart of Darkness. The Bookworm, 
Sunday, 12 to 1 on Fab Radio International. I just remembered what I'm reading. I'm reading the next uh, Robert Cargill, obviously. Because <laughs> it's awesome. It's Queen of Darkness. Of course I am. It's. Uh, sorry, I completely lost my head there. We uh, love all this stuff. Uh, we're going to have to leave. We're going to have to <coughs> run. So, dear, dear. Well, well, we'll have not to 10k. Not yeah. 10k. So, it's goodbye from me, Ed Fortune. And, and goodbye from me, Nymph Hayes. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International. Presented by Ed Fortune and Nymph Hayes. Produced by A.L. Johnson. <laughs>